Welcome to Queerly Forward, a podcast that explores queering our healing through pleasure, holistic well-being, and collective liberation. We are your hosts, Bex Lips and Morgan Vanderpool, two queer neuro-spicy therapists and community builders co-creating conversational containers for co-liberation. Let's, Let's dive, dive in. in. What does it mean to queer our healing? Endless possibilities. What does it mean to queer our healing? Letting wild nature lead. Come with your questions, come with your magic. Come, 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 come. Welcome back, everybody, to Queerly Forward. This is a fantabulous day where we get to have a conversation with a dear mentor of Bex and mine, friend, community builder, facilitator extraordinaire. Um, and I'm just so excited that you all made the effort to show up this morning, this afternoon, through all of the wildness that has brought us to this space together. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here with us, Aaron. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Well, we're kind of kicking off a, a potential tradition that we're hoping to host on this show um, where anybody that has the opportunity to be able to share their body's wisdom, their magic, that we get to ask them the question, what does it mean for you to queer your or our healing? Like, how does that show up for you? And mm. then we'll dive into like more of the <laughs> typical nitty gritty bio stuff a little bit, but we'll start there. I queer my healing mm -hmm. or what does queering your healing mean to you yeah i think i entered into the queer experience in a wild container i feel like wildness um model of queerness for me first um it took straight out of my healing process and it gave me a space to um not just notice the binary but really drop into the um the restrictiveness of it and realizing that my particular healing needed to be in a much more um, uh, queer container, much more diverse, much more um, unpredictable. I think I said the other day on a podcast of how oppression really hates when it can't predict <laughs> what the oppressed are doing. Mm. Um, Mm. So the less predictable we are, and, and to me, queerness is so unpredictable in so many in, in ways that I, I can't help but um, honor. And I think for me, uh, if I go early, um, my Aunt Clarissa um, would feel foundationally uh, critical and important. And this is like 1989. I was like 8, 10 years old, and she uh, was a the first model of a queer family member coming out and being out publicly at that time was was pretty edgy even in Southern California and in her conservative family was definitely and I so appreciate my mom uh, invite her into our home which was, mm. uh, was a big effort so I think to me that's that's I didn't realize how much healing she would be for me throughout my whole life um, but she definitely is an anchor in my healing process and definitely the, how it's definitely been in a, a queer container from jump, but not recognized till probably like five years ago in the context of this language. Ooh. Mm, I love that. Potent. Yeah. I feel like we've talked about before too, like the, how, how queer nature is. Mm -hmm. And I love that you, that you brought in wildness. Cause that really, yeah, that really resonates for me as a, I don't know, like a sister term mm -hmm. to queerness. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the little I do know about your family and the roots that it holds within the Christian church, like that is a proclamation Huge. that mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you'd want to give some like context to possibly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What well, was useful. I think Uncle Clarissa does invite me to go one step beyond my parents who are both pastors, but uh, my mother's father specifically, I have pastors in both my grandparents, but my grandpa Chandler on my mom's side was handily 
spoken to this day as one of the most prolific ministers of the church history. And he had 13 children and one was my mother mm. and Anna Clarissa. My mother was the only one that actually is a preacher out of the 13 kids, hence my mom, interesting enough. Mm. And Aunt Clarissa was the only openly queer person in that 13. And I got kind of both, mm. both worlds. And my mother was very clear that she wanted to be close to her siblings, even if it was complex. And so mm. uh, for me, my mother is, is, is amazing um, because our church was very, and is still um, very conservative, very conservative. And what I mean by that is like, you can't wear long sleeves, like shorts. Like we were like almost Amish-like in some of the outfits mm. of like what we didn't do publicly or would be inappropriate to do. And so with that kind of like restriction on sexuality and just like flesh being seen by other people, um, you could imagine that a, a very sensual Aunt Clarissa, very queer and lesbian uh, Aunt Clarissa, well, it's a big question mark of how to invite her into our home. And so uh, for me, I think, mm. Uh, my mom did the big step of like, yes. And I think that was massive. And I'm not sure all the thinking I've asked her about it directly. And she's just like, that's your family. We invite her in. I was like, snap, that's huge. But she never got really specific about how she held um, uh, Aunt Clarissa's uh, sensual and sexual identity. And I say sensual because she's such a sensual being. Like she was very openly sensual in a way that we never were allowed allowed to do in our lineage. So the Church of God has like most Christian structures, I think in the black community, it's like, it's a part of our healing and community and foundation is also part of our trauma and oppression. They kind of both mm, function at the same time. Yeah. So there's a deep honoring I have of the church of God and I will never lose that honoring for it and definitely have um, expanded my spiritual practices beyond those particular walls, but we'll never ever ignore the important and healthy shaping force that the, particularly my mother, right? I wouldn't even give the, my father too, I would give the lineage of um, being able to lead or teach or speak. These are things that we honed Mm -hmm. and practiced within the structure of our church structure. And I think I appreciate that because of the beautiful family that I grew up in that I don't hold near the amount of trauma some folks have carried that have left the Church of God. Um, So for me, that's that's our family lineage. And I, I hold that sacred. Um, I will always be um, naming my mother and father and my siblings in my practices and work because I could not be who I am and where I'm at without them. Mm. Crystal clear love. That is really cool. Really, really, really powerful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, Wondering if you can share with our listeners a little bit about... um, what is the shape or shapes that your work right now in this world mm. takes? Yeah. Yeah. I'll do a small journey to lineage a bit around Holistic Resistance being the first organization that uh, curated a bunch of other things that have now kind of not spun off of, but kind of built next to it as it needs to be supported. And so Holistic Resistance is... Um, something I'll be living for my entire life regardless if there's an organization attached to it or not, but it's basically resist at every level. At every level resist. That's the, if you want to get a mission statement in, in three or four words, it's resist at every level. Resist with 5000 resist with $5, resist with $5 million, resist with your feet, resist with your hands, resist with your song. If you see oppression, do something about it. That's the punchline. It's not new information, but it just helps us not. Um, I marched on Monday and then I'll go to Walmart, buy some Nikes, and not track the fact that those Nikes are made by an organization that not tracking me as well. Not that we can't buy Nikes, but it's tracking like we get to resist with our feet, our shoes, our purchase, mm-hmm. our lifestyle. Mm. We, can just, we can just interrupt oppression. Mm-hmm. And I always use the analogy like, you know, if you slap oppression one way, don't recoil. Just slap the other direction. Just sit both ways. <laughs> slap both ways. Don't be efficient in that context. And, so, and up and down. Exactly, and up side and down. Side. Like, yeah. you know, every, every move you make, oppression should be uncomfortable. Um, mm. When you have joy, oppression should be like, oh, snap. You know, when you build relationships, it should be dismantled. I mean, if as you can, right? We, we're, we're in the United States in, this, in a country that has a lot of oppressive power in the world. So I acknowledge that. But we want to just find the highway to deteriorate our ways. And every day I'm learning how to be more holistically resisting. Um, and the reason I say that is because we're holistically oppressed. Now, in that, we birthed um, another organization, a nonprofit wing of us, which is Grief to Action. And that is really 
for people to go majority. And that's interchangeable with BIPOC. I want to name that. That phrase is still kind of emergent. And it's an organization is simple. It's a space for Black folks to come and grieve. And grieving might look like all kinds of things. Um, and that has been born out of the rage that I saw in 2020. I birthed the idea of grief to action probably five years earlier, but I looked at the price point and thought, I can't afford this, so let me just let it down and wait. And come 2020, I thought, I can't wait. I have to do yeah. something. Okay, how small or mm -hmm. big, this rage is going to land with some grief. Mm -hmm. And when the grief hits, there's no actual space for Black folks to come and, 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 and express and release that's owned by, controlled by them. And so we prioritize Black folks, but all people go majority are welcomed. All BIPOC folks are welcome, but we just noticed that particularly Black folks are targeted in a way that land access is just very difficult. Um, and then it brings me to this present moment. Now, all those things are very present in my body, but this present moment, I'm putting a lot of Pacific energy into uh, the chronically under-touched project. The, the, the website is cutproject.org. And the reason we say cut is because Googling chronicallyundertouched.com is not necessarily the easiest way to find us. So that cut is simple. It's an acronym, project, easy to spell. I can mumble it and people get it. So cutproject.org is just more about access and finding. But that particular process is sitting in three kind of specific containers. One container is a documentary that I'm traveling, grabbing, interacting, interacting with Black folks, particularly Black men around um, how we've been shaped around our touch in the United States and what's the lineage there. Um, the second container is we have a workshop we teach where we um, bring the conversation of the archetype of the Black brute to the forefront to have a conversation of how this like invention of the archetype of the Black brute has served as a very effective way to stop um, folks noticing that this is, that these bodies are tender and can use cuddling and touching, that they aren't just um, massively muscled, hypersexualized identities, that there's so many nuances to this um, identity. And so I, we all know that, I think, in the anti-racist community, but in the world, the Black brute is the dominant celebratory image that we all mm -hmm. get kind of fed every day. And so the <clears throat> CUT project is not to um, demonize the, the muscly, strong, able-bodied Black body. That's not it. It's more of just saying there's actually whole lot more to that human being and a whole lot more America doesn't want us to see and to say, can we see it? And yeah. so the, the, the cut project is probably one of the more ambitious ones. And it's a two part program because I realized talking to black femme folks and black women that there's a part of being undertouched because you're chronically overtouched. And so overtouched mm -hmm. and undertouched end up in the same context. Mm -hmm. And that is that you don't receive the amount of nutritional mm -hmm. touch mm -hmm. that your body mm -hmm. nervous system community desires. And so yeah. the cut project cut under or over um, both of those are radical ideas, and that has been the highest calorie burn on every level because we do view um, images of black men hanging from trees, and we hang those images from trees here in the Northwest, wherever we are, and we do workshops, grieving, practicing, looking at, being with, saying this is a part of our history that's been effectively erased from most common parts of our, our history classes in high school and, and college. So a lot of folks I've met here, particularly here in the Northwest, that are viewing these images, spending time with these images for the first time. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the third container, which is our Touch Specialist Program. And that is where we are helping Black folks and white folks and all the folks in between to practice building the tools of being a Touch Specialist. How do you, um, as a more accurate term as being a Touch Activist, right? Mm. How do you be that to dismantle oppression? So the CUT Project is like in my blood right now. It's, moving through my body right now. And so I'm, I'm kind of living and breathing right now. And it's also the reason I'm talking to you right now, because without a touch plan for myself, I wouldn't be here talking to you in my right mind. It's wouldn't be happening. Mm. Hmm. I don't know if y'all caught the last phrase that Aaron just dropped, but a touch plan yeah. is such a powerful tool that you've curated in community and speak to with clarity and forthrightness and like preemptive like asks and like to watch that have been practiced in mixed race spaces like and witnessed and been a part of is like earth shatteringly potent. And I keep on coming back to that word, but like this, this is what this medicine is, is potent. Um, and thank you for being the generator and mm -hmm. a generator of this magic. 
Um, mm. That is so necessary right now to heal our soma and to like, because we don't know how to touch our bodies. We're not going to know how to touch the earth and how to touch the earth to be able to receive from her, to be able yeah. to then give to each other. Yeah. Like this cycle of care um, curates belonging in a way that like, um, what we have access to right now is to curate belonging. We don't necessarily have access to safety. We have access to the felt sense of safety with each other in relationship, but like belonging is a thing that we have to focus on because we can't assure safety. And the way that you do that is just like, thank you for being a sharer of that. Mm. I'm just like overflowing in effervescence mm. gratitude right now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Venus is in Gemini, right? And you're fucking Gemini right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The communication flow. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. Yeah, I'm wondering if we could if we could um, touch on <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> um, yeah, just the the sweetness and the medicine of of like some healing platonic touch. Mm-hmm. And I one of the things phrases I have heard you say, um, you know, is around. Uh, you know, like snuggling and holding being a life-saving yeah. act. Yeah. What is, what is, what does that do for, what is, what is the importance of, of having that like healing platonic touch in, in the context of this work? Yeah. I, I appreciate seeing that phrase. Cause I remember it was a tough spot working with a young mentee and his mental health. And we bridged a couple of major emotional spaces. We were already in an active somewhat effective touch plan already. So I remember leaving his room and I remember writing that phrase in my journal, you know, hugging, holding, snuggling is a life-saving act. And a lot of folks have been like, well, how? Like, you know, CPR, you have a heart attack, you push in the chest, you breathe in the mouth, or you breathe in the mouth, push in the chest, and you save someone's life. And um, how how is that a life-saving act? And, and people do go to that study of, you know, babies that are born, uh, if they aren't touched, they can die and they will die. And and these are all places where I, it's true. But when I think about right now, like the, the 25-year-old person that's like, I'm fine, I'm living, I'm living the best life. Talk about, I'm, I'm, I've been touched in 10 years, I'm, I'm alive. <laughs> and I think there's a couple of things that we can speak to when it comes to touch. Um, is before we talk about hand-on skin, I always like to talk about the installation of the world that that person's in that speaks to them even noticing that um, touch is available mm-hmm. and that touch can look all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that I would say that one can speak to life is that if we realize our full human experience as normal, what I mean by that is that it's normal. I say it very slowly because it feels so unnormal when I actually do the activity. It is normal for me to sit with another cis black man, look him in the eye and say, can I hold your hand for three, five, 10 minutes mm. and just be with you? That's normal, actually. What's not normal is if I say, if we can just punch each other in the face until one of us was unconscious, mm. that's actually not normal and or good for my brain or their brain. But yet it's normalized. Mm-hmm. And if I actually said, hey, mm-hmm. I got some boxing gloves here and hundred bucks and let's box, brothers would be like, all right, all right, get your gloves on. What you got? What you got? You got moves. Same brothers sit us down and be like, same hundred bucks, right? I could say, hey, I want us to sit. I want to just maybe hold your hand and listen to what you're saying about whatever, your day, something deep, something. Just be with and have contact. Um, it's like a toss a little snake in their lap and they're terrified of snakes. It's like, what? What do you mean? Why, why you got to hold my hand? That's weird. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know. Right? But that's the installation. That's the mm-hmm. environment. It's not that individual. The environment from, mm-hmm. from jump, one yeah. years old, negative one years old, two months old, something's being planted to the environment that so this, is, this is not good behavior. And so mm-hmm. the, when we talk about life-saving act, it's also about this noticing environment in which um, one is living, one is thriving, one is trying to engage. And so I'll say that when we talk about life-saving act, it's also about allowing a life to live in its full complexity, mm-hmm. uniqueness, and needs being asked for and met. So I would say part of a touch specialist is, is, is really tracking the environment in which their, their person they're supporting is in, and then really trying to take that environment, give it a basic analysis of like where they can show up and be and be a, a, a touched individual. And then I think I'll just say in landing of this pretty expansive area is... Uh, there's a lot of science around our feet on the earth and how our mental health and touching each other is important. I can go through those numbers, but they aren't as near important as um, we could feel it. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can just mm-hmm. feel it. You don't need a Google Doc or a a, a, a written paper to know Bless. that your body needs this nourishment. Um, and and I think for me, that embodied experience is also something that a lot of folks are not in their bodies enough mm-hmm. to realize how mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. they're needing around mm-hmm. touch. Yes. Um, every once in a while, we get real honest about it, but it's not near enough discussed. And so I think it's chronic. It's not limited to black men by no means, but I have noticed that um, violence drops dramatically in the body that is grounded in their touch plan. Mm-hmm. Almost singly. Food helps and sleep helps and movement helps. But guess what? Touch, essential in that equation and mm. included in that all that equation. But I'll breathe. Mm. Oh, thank you for that. And part of what, you know, I'm I, I feeling like some, some grief like welling up in me because I think part of the uh, re- resistance that I see to that platonic touch um, particularly in men is like fear of homophobia, like, you know, patriarchy, like, and, and the ways in which those, those systems of oppression rob humans of our right to tender touch. Right. (laughs) Um, Which is so fucked up. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and so even just like, as you're talking, like, even just in the context of this conversation, I feel the rage bubble up and then the settling in of grief. And then, and then, so how do we, and instinctively I put my hand to my chest, you know, I'm giving myself some, like some loving touch. Like that's, that's kind of the, the trajectory that we see of like, how do we, how do we hold this? How do we, even in that language that we use, how do we hold, we have to hold it, you know, whether with our, with our hands or our feet and, and I'll just bring in another thing uh, around touch and reconceptualizing what is <clears throat> what does touch mean? What does touch look like? What does touch sound like? And I feel like I have uh, mm. received this this wisdom from you around singing yes. is touch yes. because it's vibration. Yes. I wonder if we can if we oh. can talk about that for oh. a minute. Like that blew my mind. Oh. <laughs> I want to go origin story on this briefly because I want to honor how we stumbled across noticing that music is touch and people are no it's not uh i don't want to argue in a sense that in the origin story is truth and i say that because my first mentee that helped me understand and birth the phrase chronically untouched um i thought when i realized the situation being touched that in a couple of months we would be holding hands or giving hugs and it was 12 months and 12 months to our first side hug um some of you might know what a side hug is it's kind of what men <laughs> oftentimes give each other it's kind of a kind of a off the shoulder, tap, tap, kind of a hug. And it's one of the best to this day side hugs I have ever received. Um, but that being said, in that 12-month journey, I was trying to figure out what is, how do I build a touch plan, intentional practice with this young Black man? Mm. How do I do that? I, I don't have a man. I, I can Google it. It's ungoogleable at that time. I love that phrase. <laughs> it's ungoogleable at that time. It's so real. And so I I remember we were, we were it's like 102 degrees where we were plastering our super adobe structure. And anyone that knows anything about natural building, plastering is the most, in my opinion. Um, uh, it's a hard practice. It's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful practice. And it's also, it takes you a bit. If it's 102 degrees outside, it helps you kind of see yourself differently. You, you definitely have a spiritual experience, I will say. <laughs> and so he, me and him were out having a spiritual experience, plastering. And I remember humming my song, Hold On. Like, hold on just a little while. I'm just kind of, I'm not even singing it all the way. I'm just like mumbling it. I'm kind of like, hmm, uh, uh, And he starts like, he's not, he's not quote unquote a singer either. He's like, uh, he starts kind of, uh, uh, it's just a little beast band. And we're just like, kind of like casually goofing off, right? We're, we're plastering, it's hot. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to notice that we're human right now. And I realized that there was a opening. Mm-hmm. The environment was casual. It was outside desert. Nothing particularly sexy about that moment beyond um, us just trying to be just humans. And we were connecting. It was safety being built. Some playfulness, some humbleness, some vulnerability, mm-hmm. and vibrations being created. Mm-hmm. And what I saw palpably is I caught on because I'm a singer and leader in the song and healing of voices in that way. So I started singing it. When he starts joining me, I'm, I'm really like, yeah. And we're starting <laughs> to really, and all of a sudden, we're like jamming. We're not even, now we're not even working good. We're like just into the music part of it. And what I mean by that is I realized that one of my goals to build a comprehensive touch plan is not like, can we touch today? No. Can we touch today? No. <laughs> That's not a plan. But the plan is, yeah. can we do vulnerable acts with each other? Can we model vulnerability in ways that our bodies aren't typically used to seeing? And guess what? 
acapella singing in 102 degrees, which is two of the rules, which touching the earth is one, we're doing both at the same time, is actually essential now a part of our work, right? Mm-hmm. So at that time, mm-hmm. it was a coincidence. Maybe not. Maybe it was magic. I didn't catch it. Mm-hmm. But now it's intentional. So now we actually hold clay balls and sing, and it's intentional. But at that time, it was just like, oh, we're trying to figure it out. But what we found is that singing is touched because of vibration, correct. But particularly acapella singing, mm-hmm. set up in a container that says, this is not because you're a singer, you're on pitch. This is about your heart being vulnerable, and vulnerability allows for touch to activate effectively, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we football, if football <laughs> hit each other all that, it's not, it's not vulnerability. They're just crashing into each other. It's, it's, if someone gets hurt, you just walk away and the medics come out, right? That's not vulnerable touch. That's aggressive mm. touch. Mm-hmm. And when it does get vulnerable, it's really shocking. I remember the man that had a heart attack, stopped his heart from that hit on the field, that all of a sudden emotions came to the field. But I saw how quickly I wanted to quell those emotions and get back to the game. And so I say that because vulnerable allows for touch to really show up right now. I think what's important is singing can start that conversation. And so now that we notice that singing is touch, it's vibrational, it's emotional. And for me, because ancestrally, I realized that um, singing got us through a whole lot as black folks in the United States and in the Mm. world. But Mm -hmm. in my lineage here in the United States, singing is an essential part of it. So for me, I have heard and felt my ancestry through their songs. And so for me, when I hear someone sing, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. I don't hear, oh, that's a spiritual. I hear deep emotions, complex feelings that Black folks historically weren't supposed to have. We're supposed to be animals, Mm -hmm. numb, brutes, whatever you want to call it, but not complex beings. But you write, sometimes I feel like a motherless child a long ways from home. I've been taken from my home. And so for me, when I think about the, the, the lineage of song, particularly in the Black body, but this is the America experience across the board, that singing is touch. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when folks are too traumatized to receive touch, we start with just a little bit of singing. Just a little bit of singing. Even if they're like, I don't even want to sing with you. I'm in so much trauma. I can't even sing with you. We sing around you. Mm-hmm. We sing around you. We always invite people not to participate in singing if they don't want to. But that's a part of our reach. And I know that when folks are literally on their last breaths in life, that singing can be a bomb in that moment. And when folks are about to take on some of the biggest victories in their life, singing can be one of the biggest supports to that system. And so it's kind of like water, mm-hmm. touch, singing just woven right in there. And so for me, if I could land here, if you say, Aaron, you're about to do something big, it'd be a surgery, go on stage, a life-changing experience, what kind of session would you want for your touch playing before, the hours before, the day before? Simple, for me at least. I need like three people, right? At least weighing about 200 pounds, so 200 each-ish heavy, laying on my chest, like on top of each other, like one, two, three, right? Oh, like two, four, like like almost 500 pounds or more humans on me, humming. Mm. Just humming. Mm -hmm. They they can even hum in my favorite song, would be nice, but any kind of of hum would be great. Just their body vibration, touch Uh and song. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes of that. Aaron's in heaven. And I'm good. I'm good. I could go for like six months, right? Check. I could take on a mountain. And it's just, that's my medicine. Everyone has their different medicines, right? Mm -hmm. But I said, that's my medicine, right? And so for me, it's the weight, it's the vibration, it's the humanness, it's the like, you know. So for me, I, I, I think that touch and singing and singing is touch is one of the things that I have been speaking to in increments. I've been saying them at song circles. Every song circle we do here in the Northwest on this particular tour is a cut song circle. So we tell stories about Crunkin' and Touch. Mm-hmm. We say the phrase, singing is touch. And people are like, I get it. And some people are like, I don't understand. But nonetheless, we try to hold that up so people understand that sometimes you cannot reach out and touch somebody for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. It could be COVID or mm-hmm. they're in the hospital or they're yeah. too far away. But you can take your voice mm-hmm. and you can reach for them. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever been reached for that way, you understand what I'm saying. If you haven't been, I would say just try and practice it. Mm. And so I'll pause there. But yes, yeah, singing is touch and touch is singing Mm, that is fucking transformative in my body Mm. (laughs) my heart um i'm hold on just i'm just gonna breathe that in for a sec i'm wondering if we could share some touch with our listeners right now Mm. via song Mm, yeah do you have a song for us 
Yeah, yeah, we'll do a song. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you say you had some questions too. So we want to do that before the song or after the song? No, song first. Song first. Right. <laughs> and I was going to do Hold On because it's my default and y'all probably it. know versions I of it. it. And you can just all grab it because yes. I've just seen that song every time I hang out with y'all, probably any kind of song circle or environment or workshop. Mm-hmm. We'll do maybe like two verses for sake of time, but um, we'll go from there. So I'll do. Ooh. March on, just a little while longer, won't you march on? Just a little while longer, won't you march on? Just a little while longer, everything is gonna be alright. Love on, y'all, love on. Love on, just a little while longer, won't you love on? Just a little while longer, won't you love on? Just a little while longer, everything is gonna be alright. Letting the healing technology of song sink into our bodies with every breath. Gratitude to the vibration that we just shared. Mm. Yeah, thank you to that song. Thank you to Aaron for mm. bringing it through. Yes. So good to sing with y'all and do that. It's mm. good. Good medicine. <laughs> we do love singing. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's coming alive as we're sharing space in this, you know, particularly in this context where we're saying, okay, what role does our like body as a vibrational being have in being able to consistently interrupt oppression with every action, every breath? And so if we narrow it down or like focus it down, let's do that. Like zoom in on if we are resisting with every moment, mm. We breathe every moment mm. and like um, the mechanics of breath as it plays into like our electrical pulses mm. as human beings walking on this planet um, is one of my favorite conversations to pay attention to and wanted to like alive some of the things that like flow through me as I'm thinking and hearing our reflections around song as a healing technology um, and like our bodies communicate electrically. Um, folks who study this, like the HeartMath Institute um, mm. and other folks will take some time to help us measure like at what distance can we feel each other's heartbeat. Um, and our heartbeat is fed by the way that we breathe and the way that we breathe feeds the vibration of our heart back out to other people. Um, and all of that is conducted along our nervous system, primarily our vagus nerve, which is our soul nerve. It's what helps us understand, I should say, like perceive sound and sound being something that is able to be run through my body as something that is either receivable or not receivable. Um, and the sounds we usher through our heartbeat, how we can feel it slash hear it internally, vibrationally, and the sounds that we usher out of our mouth is one of the most potent things we can do for like effective co-regulation and sensing the possibility of connection. Um, and so when we bring a song into a space, all of a sudden we're having the same conversation, which very rarely do we ever get to do because folks are so 
isolated or feel like mm. they have to be isolated in their own body. But once you start to breathe with one another, sing with one another, a shared conversation gets consensually opted into. And once bodies do that in a space, everything changes. And like there's reasons why songs that are, you know, indigenous to this land have been made illegal because of how mm. potent they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the ways that songs have been tools of resistance is because of how potent they are. Mm-hmm. Like moving in sync with one another to the same breath rhythm, to the same drum rhythm, to the same song rhythm is an incredibly potent tool of resistance. Um, the cool thing about song though is that like, or one of the things that I absolutely love about it and watching it get to be activated in spaces that both y'all host, cause you both bring healing songs that I get to participate in and like ride along with, um, is like when the song is written for the intention of healing, it's both a healing act mechanically to do it. And then you layer in the history of the song and then the lyrics. And we're all just agreed to practicing healing with one another through song. Mm. And it's so accessible Mm -hmm. and so much more effective in regards to like helping our body feel that it's alive. Mm -hmm. That like, let's do it all the time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> let's do it all the motherfucking time which yes. like brings me kind of like in co-relationship with what you might have been ta- or what you were talking about earlier in regards to like being under touched and what does it mean to like come back into touch or come back into aliveness in our bodies mm. and so like it's really fucking scary to sing with other yeah. folks because our bodies know how much our songs have been erased mm-hmm. um songs of healing have been erased and to sing them we have to then assure our body that that's a Thing that we are purposely consenting to right now for its healing but it's mm. going to want to shut us up mm-hmm. you know like so many of us have been held safe by staying silent yeah protected mm. by staying silent mm-hmm. making sounds for the act of connection particularly connection across difference of any sort but mm-hmm. the more violence that's stacked up between those differences between each other the more raising our voice so that we can hear each other in a way where we are both making the same sound with one another Mm -hmm. across whatever chasm of separation Mm -hmm. is like wildly awesome. Mm. Um, And you're, but when we do it, right, we have to face all of those places in our bodies that we've had to cut off or had to numb or had to turn off or had to shut up or had to silence for our own protection. Um, So it's an incredibly brave act um, and one that is so, worthwhile to like peel back all the layers on our vocal cords to yes. permit permit sound mm. to vibrate across the drum yes. that's in our throat yes. the drum that's in our chest yes. the drum at the bottom of our rib cage like song vibrates all of those so that we can actually drum together mm. Mm. um and yeah, i'm just like tingling out of like <laughs> fucking just like deep 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 emboned beyond embodied like emboned emboned I love that oh my god (laughs) um sensation of like getting to participate in in space where that's happening yes like and may it happen as in as many as in as many voice boxes as possible and as many hearts as possible like yes and it's so simple yeah it's so accessible yes yes it's not this like thing that you have to go somewhere or pay Mm -hmm. a lot of money to access Mm -hmm. like you can just sing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) we can just sing we can just why they shut it down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the infamous day the the conglomerate (laughs) of oppression (laughs) oh god no (laughs) sideways no Yeah, I feel like I feel like singing and then the various ways of of touch, you know, these are these are our practices and skills that and and tools that can be wielded in a wide variety of ways. Um, And the ways in which I see our community harnessing them is for collective liberation. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like what other kinds of skills or practices do we need to be working on together to move us into into the land of collective liberation? Mm. Um, for me, uh, 
it's the same answer, I think, often. And it's listen, practice listening, study listening. And I, as a drummer, I looked her up and I since have lost her name again in my mind, but I'm going to get her name in my heart and mind. But we can find her as a deaf professional drummer. And she is brilliant and able and all the things. Um, and I remember her referring to a conversation about, um, I think it was like a conductor or director was like, how you can't audition for this band because you can't hear. And so if you can't hear, there's no way you can stay in rhythm with the orchestra. And she finally talked him into whoever the powers be, talked him into an audition and she crushed it in the audition. He was confused. He was <laughs> like, how in the world did you maintain rhythm without being able to hear? Mm. And she's like, I listened to my entire body. And that was like, it is set with my bones. And this is like 15 years ago I heard this interview. Um, but it, it's never left me. Mm-hmm. And I've since referred to that experience and I want to speak her name. I can't think of it right now, but she's definitely Googleable. Um, and I encourage folks that are seeking liberation to have that level of attention. You might have access to your ears. That might be possible. But I hope in the kind of spirit of holistic resistance, listen with your entire body. Mm. And that might be your energy body. That might be your physical body. That might be your ears as well. But like all of it. We need all that. Because listening to me is something that's underrated in all the work that we're doing oftentimes. I've been surprised how we jump to the fundraising. We jump to uh, building the building, which I think fundraising and building the building is important. But if we're not actually listening, oftentimes we miss the mark four or five, six times and things start to collapse because listening is not quite accessible. Um, And then I would say that if we got the listening muscle, that's like flexing really well and that's happening. I think the next thing is... um, recognizing the, and this is my artist mind, so forgive me those that might be like, what are you talking about installation art? Um, But the installation of oppression, like the way in Mm, which we mm -hmm. understand that it sits around us and how we're we're shaped maybe, um, we're shaped maybe unconsciously. And I say that because I live in a tiny house. I remember when we got our tiny house where it was the first time we didn't have water pumped there, so I would carry the water. And I never paid attention of how much water I used Mm -hmm. each day. Because I always go into the bathroom, go shh, wash my hands, shh, turn it off, flush the toilet, and then hop in the shower, take a bath, and walk away. And I even count. I'm not counting. I'm not counting. But two months in a tiny house where I carried all of my water, brother started counting. Brother started counting, right? That shaped me. But in America, that shaped me, right? I didn't poop in water when I had to carry five gallons because that's just one flush. Mm-hmm. If you ever carry five gallons across five acres and then poop in it and then dump it out, you're like, no, 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 we ain't pooping in that. But it's normal. It shapes us. All right? I'm not trying to shame folks that's pooping poop in water, but I'm saying is that there's a level of recognizing <laughs> that we have to track what shapes us. Mm-hmm. We're being shaped. Mm-hmm. When you wash your hands in the United States, we're being shaped. Mm-hmm. And we don't count how many gallons of water we use. I'm not talking about just the environment. I'm talking about this is what mm-hmm. privilege allows us. And, this, and that, that analogy around water is just one of many things that particularly folks in, in liberation work don't track how much they're being shaped. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I, I ain't saying, oh, no, stop washing your hands. Stop. No, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> All I'm saying is just pay attention. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm being shaped yeah. right now. It's subtle. Yeah, yeah. But right now, this is little increments of my life. I'm being shaped. Let me recognize it. Oh, I love the iPhone, right? I remember the first iPhone I ever saw is a, a friend had bought it. And we were all in awe. We we're all like, what? You got an iPhone 1? Whoa, $700. Oh, who does that? Like, we were all in the flip phone era. We're just like, that's amazing. We had no idea. We all would be on that train in no time, but it was shaping us. Right now, I, I, I see a flip phone. I'm like, oh, my goodness, how amazing that is. Right? That was normal back in the day. But I've been shaped already in just a period of 10 years. I've been shaped so much by the technology around me. I don't always feel it, right? So for me, mm-hmm. I think for folks that are trying to seek liberation, I think it's useful not to immediately, you know, shift your life immediately. But as you're listening, you start to look around and go, I see the installation, mm-hmm. right? I see it. Bring your attention to it. Yes, yes. Don't panic, but like, oh, I, I see it. It's like the Matrix, right? Just, it's like, it's like the Matrix was a little bit more like um, a, a meditation involved, which is a lot. I love that film. It's not a critique of the film. But... <laughs> You eat the pill, right? And you panic. Oh, my goodness, right? The idea is now relax. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Eat the pill mm-hmm. and relax. I'm probably kind of, but like really just settle Oof. in Oof. and observe, Oof. right? Settle and observe. That, yeah. that to me is the muscle I think that would 
would would help us make better choices. And that's so vulnerable, too, because I feel like a lot of the conversations around like oppression and like awakening to the ways oppression, you know, manifests like all around us is it's like, okay, you your attention gets brought to it and you're like, oh, shit. And then immediately I have to change it immediately. What do I do? And it's and but like staying with that, the like. The, the listening, yes, the, yes. there's there's more information yes. to gather here before I just yeah, jump into exactly. acting. What mm-hmm. I, I don't know what mm-hmm. what that'll do, mm-hmm. yeah. but to, to bring the intention to okay, how do I if this is something that I do want to change, mm-hmm. what is it going to take to to shift that? And it's yeah. going to take patience. Yes. It's going to take more attention. Yes, mm-hmm. it's going to take all kinds of things. Yeah, not a. A reactivity, yeah. a reactivity yeah. to yeah. oppression isn't gonna yeah. change it. It has yeah. to be more, I guess, strategic and long, yeah. long yeah. term. Yeah. You know, yeah. in order for us to, you know, transform, you know, these systems that are so deep within our our bodies, within our societies. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a it's a daily and it's a lifelong practice. Mm-hmm. Practices, yes. yeah. I know one of the other things that, um, you know, we wanted to, Morgan and I wanted to touch on is um, you talk about just the importance of relationships Mm. in this work, in the work of anti-racism, in the work Mm. of anti-oppression. And um, I don't know if you want to speak to this you know, this this uh, phrase that you've heard Aaron say. Around, oh, yeah. The dedication yeah. that's required to do the work. Yeah. I don't want to misquote you, so please <laughs> refine my quote. But like when I met you in Duval in 2019, mm-hmm. <clears throat> something that stood out from your workshop was like, okay, so when you bring your body to anti-racist work, the relationships that were like kind of like the context you were setting was like the relationships that were upseating um, are highly orchestrated there's a lot of dedication to them being upheld and so if you're opting into being dedicated enough to dismantle them and be in relationship to dismantle and construct holistic kinds of relationships Mm -hmm. it's a type of dedication that's stronger than any marriage yeah and you know that landed in my body particularly being a child of parents who had previously been married to other people and got Mm -hmm. together having been somebody who has chosen two divorces in my own life Mm -hmm. that landed in the sense of like we know very little about how to say I commit to you mm-hmm. beyond the construct of marriage. Yeah. And even the construct yeah. of marriage has a 60% fail rate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Um, and so when you, when you said that to me, I'm like, okay, so how do I construct that kind of commitment? Yeah. Yes. How do I, how do I build that into mm. existence? Um, and so like, how do we construct those kinds of relationships? Mm. And um, I want to weave in at some point, whether it's right now or in a little bit later, but the the cycle of, of how relating to systems of oppression shows up in bodies is pretty predictable. Mm. It's There's predictable patterns. Okay, now I shouldn't say it's pretty predictable. These are the sh- This is the shit that I like to predict about and have conversations mm. about. So um, I'll localize it in that. But in studying how our and observing how our bodies react to big downloads Mm. um, and react to and are in relationship with change making um, and letting go of things and grieving our relationship with things. Like they happen in cycles, just like, you know, Mother Earth, she cycles, we cycle with her. Um, But when we first get that download, when we've listened, right, and we get the like, oh, fuck, I'm in Mm. the matrix. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit, I see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, that line that person just said, that Mm. movement with that person's body. Oh, that eye like that eye eye gaze drop that just happened. Mm. Like, that policy just got written? What the fuck? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like so fucking activating. Mm -hmm. And our bodies brilliantly designed to respond in a survival response, Mm -hmm. want to do either a fight, Mm -hmm. a flight, a freeze. Mm -hmm. A submit or a fawn and we're like oh shit i've been fawning and submitting i don't want to do those anymore freezing is really painful i can't avoid this work anymore so like then we go fight because we want to activate that is so dangerous um and we'll be in and out of that particularly for the first two years along these realizations but we haven't built 
I shouldn't say, we are in the process of building the containers to catch those folks in those mm. first two years because I mm. think those first two years is when a lot of harm gets caused. Yeah. Mm. And I, I can recognize now going back because I didn't have anybody to hold me in my realizations. Mm. And yes, no, I did. <clears throat> I can notice the times in which I wasn't held in it and I caused harm. And I noticed the times that I was held and I, it actually construct, like constructively moved forward in a mm. way that made sense. Um, so all that to say, like, I think what we want to like bring into this conversation is like speaking to the value of what kind of relationships are necessary to do this work. Mm -hmm. um, and we'd love to hear you speak on that. Yes. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad it's being recorded. Um, <laughs> and we should make a podcast. Yeah, we should. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Literally, I've had this conversation with Morgan before. We uh, like talking, uh, yeah. like doing our podcast recording. Like, oh, we should do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good thing. I think relationships in in the workshop right? <laughs> and song circle, I, I, I say something like, I have no desire to be your friend. <laughs> we're like, <"Meh."> <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, I have no desire to be your lover. And they're like, what? It's a song circle. I'm missing something, right? Um, and I say, I want to be more than that. And people are like, what's possible? What What is possible? Is there anything beyond that? We all stop thinking after that. Like after lover and marriage, we just stop thinking. Like, no, there's no other option. I mean, there is, but in the United States, at least, even with all the failure rates and complexity around marriage, we don't think about what's possible outside of that. Mm. Now, we do in the queer community and in the non-monogamy community. There's things that we talk mm. about and discuss. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about broad stroke in America, the average person that might um, be considering that. And that group did have that feeling of like, there's nothing beyond, is there something beyond that point? Um, and that's where we kind of see that veil of like, well, we start to listen first, like what what does it mean to build something that we haven't seen on Disney, that we haven't mm. seen on the most popular narratives? What does it mean, right? We haven't seen that as clearly yet. And so one of the first things I track, and it goes back to um, Alex Haley. And Alex Haley might not be known now, but he's the author of the book Roots. And he also wrote the biography, autobiography of uh, Malcolm X, excellent, excellent writer. But he's also, I think beyond his writing, he's a probably even better storyteller in person. Um, and I highly recommend we track, but we'll talk about relationship, right? He talked about in his talk, and it's worthy to listen to his talk, have him tell it, but in essence, he had an aunt that would tell a story about an ancestor that we now know as Kunta Kinte, um, and they would tell the story all the way down to him. And this aunt, when he was actually doing research to find the lineage of his family, gave him some essential information, essential information that helped him find the actual village in which his bloodline led to. And at the end of his talk, he talks about going through and looking at dates. And during his journey, his aunt passes away, right? And she might have been elder. She might have been in her 80s or 90s when she passed. And he did some math. He said, I, I always take numbers and move them around. And I just noticed that the day that I set foot on my original village was the same day she passed away. And it was almost as if she was here long enough to hand me off the information to get me there. And as soon as I got there, she died. Mm. That is a relationship beyond marriage. Yeah. And we see this happen a hundred times from dogs that stay alive long enough for their owner to get somewhere, for, for folks, mm -hmm. mothers to stay alive long enough to help their child, from children to stay alive for their parents. We see it happen all the time where the doctor says, you shouldn't be living right now. You're, you're beyond all of our tests. And why are you still here? Because I'm in a relationship that's beyond what you understand. I'm living not because my heart's supposed to keep beating or this cancer's supposed to kill me. I'm living yeah. because I have work to get done. Until that's done, mm -hmm. then I'll go, right? Mm. That's when we see it, right? And we see it a lot from folks that are African heritage and Jewish folks and folks that have survived impossible situations, right? They are flexing that muscle. So we have to look far to find it. It's here. But because Disney make movies about it, we're like, oh, wait, I'm picking on Disney. Warner Brothers, all of them are in trouble. But the, <laughs> idea is that, um, that, the idea is that that's what I'm speaking to, right? That's what I'm speaking to. That's why when I go into activist work with people, I, I usually wait a week or two, but now it's a little sooner. I say, if I am dying with you, like I'm dying and you're with me, this is what I would ask you to do for me if you can. Mm -hmm. and, and my particular act is sing, mumble, cry, hold on. That's what I would act. If you, can, if you know me enough, if you're hanging out in that spot, and that's what I, if I'm on my phone, that's what I want to hear. Mm -hmm. That may change. Now, people say, Aaron, why are you even prepping for that? Think positive. I understand yeah. that the work I do puts me in, in harm's way, yeah. right? 
And so because of that, I know that might be a situation where I'm going and I want to make sure I'm in that kind of relationship with people. I get to mumble, hum, and say whatever the act is, right? That, but, that, but I say that because I say that I'm asking for, I imagine a lot of married couples, and, and, and that's kind of people forget sometimes if marriage does actually work out to the end, the idea is that one of us dies and we watch it, right? Yep. But people don't always track that. They're always like, oh, it's like that. It's a, it's a but basically the goal of our relationship is that if, we, if it works out, best case scenario, one of us watches, one of us dies at some stage. That's really? the best case scenario. I said only because, um, when I, I laugh only because I remember saying it to somebody when I was dating early on. They're like, I, I, I can't really date you a little too intense. So I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you want to date me, I'm asking this question. That's this. I mean, our goal, <laughs> they're like, I'm cool, I'm cool. This is early Aaron, early Aaron. I wasn't quite tracking trauma. But back to the main point is that this, this, this narrative is that this is where actual relationship is. And I think activists and relationships, dismantle relationships, has to have that level of awareness. Some might even say maturity around it. But really, it's about just really realizing that this model is not a outside of consent space. You always can opt out of this like any other relationship you want to be in. But there is a way in which we see this manifest on a regular basis. And I just want to shine a light onto it because we would not be here, right? I think about all the stories of folks running for freedom and doing what they're doing and saving. I'm like, how do they do it, right? Because they actually were loving beyond what we understand mm. popular narratives are, mm-hmm. right? I, I can guarantee, and I, I'd say this to folks right now in our current activist work, is I said, I want to fast forward 100 years and I want your great, great, great ancestral children, young folks to look back and say, thank you. Yes. For what you did in that yes. period of time. Well, I look at the history books, look at the little digital downloads in my brain, whatever they did at the time. I look back and go, <laughs> thank you for raising your hand. Yeah. Thank you. Because I look back at those folks that were surviving slavery and I say, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for running. Thank you for singing. Thank you for writing. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Right. For fighting as hard as you did. Because now I'm sitting here in integrated spaces. I'm not done with my work. My goodness, it's much different than it was 100 years ago. Thank you. Right. Mm. So I just say that because that's the relationship I'm speaking to. And I think anyone probably could sit down and go, oh, snap. There are so many places in my world I saw parents live longer than they should. Children fight harder than they should. People survive things that are impossible. Car accidents that should took people out, but didn't. They didn't understand why. All these question marks. No one could explain it. Doctors, ER, everyone's in awe. It's that. Mm-hmm. It's that relationship beyond the traditional relationship. And I'm not like trying to attack marriage here directly. I'm just saying that there's something beyond that. Mm-hmm. We, our minds need to keep thinking beyond that space. And that's where activism becomes sustainable, beautiful, and it strengthens everything else. It's kind of a fabric of a foundational relating with each other and seeing each other. And part of that we'll find is when you're in that kind of a love space, you can ask really good questions and really listen really well when you're in that kind of love space. I'll breathe. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, that love has a power across space and time, beyond space and time. Mm. Thinking about that kind of love that that permeates to future generations and, and, and hollers back to the ones that came before. I feel like there's, there's a lot of uh, discourse I, I hear in, in communities and, and more nowadays about like, what does it mean to be a good ancestor? That feels like really related to mm. this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're in kind of in the closing swirl mm. of our time together. Um, it feels like one of the things that's still alive in maybe part of our wrap up is a phrase as well that you bring into to facilitation, Aaron, um, that we like to mimic because it's so effective on like, what does it mean <clears throat> to get ahead of the trauma? Mm. And I feel like this plays into us like being able to pace with each other and the Mm -hmm. kinds of relationships that play into the long and deep game of systems change. Um, And so I'm just kind of like, maybe put that as the sprinkle of the way we sign out. (laughs) Well, the well the the other the other one that I want to bring in um, the phrase that 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 Aaron I just so deeply love for you from you is. that relates to this too is staying creative while taking on the uh, impossible. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, tracking trauma and staying creative while taking on the impossible. Uh, life-saving words for myself. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I wouldn't. I would again. These phrases, like that song, I wouldn't be here without those phrases. Yeah, without those practices, they aren't even phrases; they're practices mm-hmm. more so than phrases. I could touch both in closing if that feels good. Um, getting ahead of the trauma, I think one of the griefs about it is you can't get ahead of all of it, so you're gonna get hit. But the idea is that um, 
there is a place that trauma has become uh, almost a brand, almost like when organic first landed, it was like, oh, wow, this is tasty. Yes, and then like, here, everything was here, organic. Here, yes. um, and then <laughs> trauma has been like, when I first heard trauma, I was like, yeah, that's trauma. That's kind of like drama, but different. It's different, more important. And then I was like, drama, this, drama, that. I, had a, I, got, I got this, drama, drama, trauma, trauma, trauma. And so we kinda, it kind of almost starts losing some of its, mm. um, not relevance, but impact on the magnitude of how it shapes who we are. And so when I think about trauma, I think that a big portion of us have a hard time or even qualified, have the skills to even solve some of the traumas that we hit and encounter on a regular basis. And so I realized that I wanted to get not away from a step next to trying to solve all the trauma. And I started to say, if I can just track it, can I see it move through a space? Mm-hmm. And if it does move, can I like move my head so it, it goes by me? Right. And people are like, what do you mean? How can you talk and dodge trauma like a like a rock being thrown through the air? But I literally have been able to literally see it and go, oh, duck. And, and and be practical. Now, I pick on this organization a lot. I love them dearly. So there's a way it's mixed. But I would say quickly is that I remember I was the only black male-bodied person in the history of this organization 25 years in rural Oregon in 2018. I was invited to be a part of this, like, back to nature. It was like 150 amazing white people. And they had a closed optional swimming area. I'm going to be very clear. I'm not against closed optional swimming area. But these white folks are having a hard time relating to me with my clothes on, right? So if they have a hard time looking at me now, I have my clothes on. I can only imagine mm. if they have. And some of these folks, and especially young folks, I've never seen a black person in person. Mm. Like some, of these, you can look at their faces, young kids seeing like, wow, this is their first time. So if you're first time seeing a black person, this might not be the time for me to go into the community swimming area. This community means families. I mean, children, adults. It's Northwest adjust their swimming areas for that. And so in that, I was like, I'm down, and I'm not gonna go this time. Because I'm tracking trauma, and I realize that the black group narrative is the dominant narrative most people are carrying. The white men are a little tight right now because I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing, who I'm coming after, because they're not tracking themselves at all. Mm-hmm. So as a trauma tracker, guess why I don't go? To the closing optional swimming area. Not because I don't want to go, because I'm tracking some trauma in this space. Mm-hmm. I could be like, it doesn't matter. They said everybody, I'm an equal member here. I'm going to go. I'm going to remove my clothing. I will play with these white people that have never seen blackness before, and they will adjust. You might not be talking to Aaron right now if that was the narrative. So I ducked. Mm. It was easy actually to do, right? But there's a narrative of like, if I wasn't tracking trauma in that space, I'd be like, the sign says everybody. It didn't say colored people go over there. It mm. says everybody. What I'm saying is, is that we then went back and tracked some trauma with them. I just noticed what it was. And they're all shocked. We've never thought of that. Because you never had to, because I'm the first black person to be in 25 years. And now the same organization is doing a lot of work around anti-racism. I'm way safer going to that area and taking my clothes off and swimming with everyone else. Mm. I'm not sure if I would do it yet, but I'm saying I still it's way safer. <laughs> that's trauma tracking one on one. It's just like that's a, a somewhat unfair example, but yet a perfect example of like ways that we can just look at a space and go, I'm not gonna go over there right now. They aren't ready for it now. I'm tracking my personality as a six foot tall black male. Let me track that. Mm. Let me track it. Mm. And I do that almost on a daily basis. And some people are like it's too stressful. I can't track trauma. Fair. But for me, it's why I'm here. Yeah. And I do it every day when I'm in tease. The Crunk in a Touch project mm-hmm. alone is a trauma tracking mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. it's like the chunk and fundamentals a touched balance of black male body at a fusion dance event is so much more safer for everybody than if he goes in there crunk and a touch we got ahead of the trauma story yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah another hour we talk about that now the other piece i think is really important and i could definitely weep on this one too is staying creative while taking on the impossible i think one of the effective illusions that oppression brings is that it's bigger and unstoppable and it's big but it's definitely stoppable. And I think creativity reminds us of that. Creativity says move when you only got a little bit. Yeah. Creativity is COVID. It showed up in a small country somewhere far away and a small little town somewhere. And it was, it, the whole globe is impacted. We're still impacted by it. It's mm-hmm. just, the COVID is as is, is, is terrifying and as impactful as it is. It is creativity. Mm-hmm. If you want to see creativity on a big system, we threw everything we had and it still kicked all of us. Right. I say it not lightly, but it's creativity. It's taking on the impossible. It's a little tiny, little tiny, little tiny virus. Right. It's creative, super creative. It's not stiff, not predictable. And so for me, we talked about early in this podcast, like oppression does not like an oppressor that they, can, it, it, they can't predict. Mm-hmm. Creativity is unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Right. Creativity allows us to adapt. Creativity is something that I find always present in every effective dismantling system. And so for me, I always remind myself when I my, my creativity is being smothered, I, I'm not feeling creative. I know that oppression is really woven itself into my heart. And I want to kick it out. When creativity is moving, when it's moving, 
I'm realizing, oh snap, I can take on the impossible, especially with all the other ancestral support, but creativity from the folks in slavery I see doing the impossible. I see so much creativity, folks surviving slavery, so much, right? How they, how they alluded and managed the system mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Phen- creativity was present, mm-hmm. right? From Booker T. Washington to Du Bois, creativity is present. And so for me, I just remind us in that phrase, stay creative, y'all, when taking on oppression, even when it feels impossible. Mm. Thank you so much, Aaron, mm. for all that you are, mm. for all that you do. It's a gift, mm. a gift to be in your presence, to, to hear you speak and to, and to be weaving with you. It's an honor to be here with y'all. This is a gift, multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Forever grateful and cheers to all of the things that were unsaid today that will get said in the future and the yes. unfolding conversations that we get to share in community with one another. Yes. Every breath is an act of holistic resistance, y'all. Yes, it is. Let's go. Let's go. What does it mean to queer our healing? Endless possibilities. What does it mean to queer our healing? Letting wild nature lead. Come with your questions. Come with your magic. Thanks for listening to Queerly Forward. This podcast has been recorded and produced in collaboration with On Purpose Recordings. If you have questions, requests for topics, or feedback about the show, reach for us via email at queerlyforwardpod at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at queerlyforward. Take Take care care out out there, queers. queers.